enjoying ARC this year, the ARC conference? My name is Scott Bledsoe. It's great to have you at uh, Pastor Miles McPherson's session. Um, here's the new book he mentioned. If you were in the main session this morning, of course, you heard that 18-minute gem that, that he kind of laid on us. The third option. I think there are going to be some books for sale um, right over on the table on this side. He has asked if you would, if you guys, come on, if you just kind of move up and let's kind of get close. Uh, he said it'll help him speak better if you come closer. <laughs> <laughs> it can be better than it was in there. This is going to be phenomenal, going to be fantastic. Uh, my name is Scott Bledsoe. I pastor from the other LA, which is Louisiana. <laughs> The one with the really good food. And man, we just enjoy being here and getting to know some of you guys from the West Coast. So come on, without any further ado, give it up for Pastor Miles. We appreciate it. Someone do me a favor and I feel kind of funny way up here. Move this down there. It'd be great. How you guys doing? So excited. I actually had 13 minutes. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. There we go. Boom, boom. Okay, here we go. Yeah. Oh, okay. I think you have to have that. Okay, okay. Okay, okay, okay. How's everybody doing? It's so exciting to be here. I'm so excited. Um, before I start, I'm going to pray. And then I'm going to ask you some questions before I start so I can shape my and direct my comments. I'm going to ask you why you're here what you want to get out of this, so I don't just give you my information. Uh, I have a lot of information uh, to give you, but I want to make sure I answer your questions. And anytime during what we're talking about, you have a question, we'll probably have Q&A at the end, at the beginning, um, but, but I want to know what you're here for before we start. Amen? So let's bow our heads and, and pray. Lord, thank you so much for your faithfulness. Lord, we thank you that um, ARC has opened up the opportunity and the mandate to be relevant to everyone. Thank you for this session and thank you for um, just the responsibility that you've given the church to be relevant to every culture in this country and the world. That we must, check one, two, we must lead the discussion on what diversity looks like, what love looks like, a love that crosses all bounds. And so we pray that you would help us uh, learn how to do that. Give you wisdom to guide and direct everyone in here to answer the questions. In Jesus' name, amen. My mic is going on and out. Is that me or you? Oh, I know it's not me because I'm not doing it. <laughs> is that, are you guys doing that or is it a feed or something? Okay, check one. Did you guys hear that? Yeah. Okay, check one. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Okay, great. All right. There we go again. <laughs> Okay, question, just real quick, just so we can feed the, the room. What, what is it that y'all want in here? Yes? You want to be part of the change that you want to see happen. And that change being? Gotcha. How do I look at someone else and say, that's my neighbor, I can that? Fabulous, fabulous. Yes? This is inside some kind of church in Hampton, Virginia. And it's in Virginia, it's near Old Coast, near Jamestown. And what's interesting about it is many people think that slaves first landed in Jamestown, but they landed in Hanover. And so I just felt, just want to hear because I really felt like what a wonderful story to have a church that's focused on racial unity that started from the spot where a lot of it started from. 
is I'm going to teach through some stuff that I think will answer a lot of y'all's questions. Then I'm going to show you this video, and then I'll give you a code that you can download the video and the discussions where you can have a small group discussion. Big picture, um, this book, we've been working on this book for uh, uh, almost two years. It is back here. We're going to sell it to you here. You go to the bookstore. After we'll sign it after. Um, two weeks ago, it released on September 11th. September 15th, that following Saturday, we had an event, a simulcast that went to about 13,000 people, went to about a couple hundred churches, and it was a presentation, it was, we had, you know, music, my, my mic keeps going in and out, I don't know what it is, um, y'all hear that? Yeah. Um, uh, I'll, I'll try to talk loud so it doesn't matter, but um, we give a presentation and then we gave this small group video, we played it and challenged the people to get the small group discussions. It, it's on. Yeah, I don't like holding that thing. Yeah. Okay. Is, it, is there any solution to that, uh, you guys? Because I'd rather not hold something like that. Um, uh, it is very important that, in addition to getting information in your head, that you get in conversation with people that you don't know, that don't look like you. Yeah. Until you do that, it's all theory. Because yeah. you have to, we have to have a relationship, amen. And so after I do the teaching, we'll get to that that lesson. Um, so let's do the three kinds of racism. Three kinds of racism. Just uh, this institutional racism, which are systems that hold people down. Uh, there's all kinds of institutional rate redlining was institutional racism, where the bank said we're not going to loan to these people. Uh, you just look it up. It's in the book. There's something in the book about it. My sister, when she was uh, buying a house in Maryland. Uh, the real estate agent told her, we're going to have to find an appropriate neighborhood for your family. Um, and, and she ended up picking one of those inappropriate neighborhoods. And when they moved in, her husband, who was a cop at the time, brought his cop car home. And nine of the cop cars showed up to help move their furniture in the house, and they had no problems. And they got along very good. Right? <laughs> and, and, he, and here's the good and the bad. The bad was that was the system. The good part was that the people in the community, it wasn't an issue with that. You know, they, they ended up having a great time. Other than the time they went to the the uh, library a few miles away, and the lady in the library looked at them like this and said, "What are you doing up here?" And she said, "I'm getting books for my kids." And she said, "The client is up here." Uh, that was a, a neighborhood away. However, this is too racism. This uh, internalized racism is when somebody internalizes the negative message that they're being told by culture. You're less than, or you're, you know. And everything that a racist culture would do to minimize someone, when they start to believe that and turn on their own culture, they won't learn the language, they will, they will begin to despise people who look like them and favor the, the ruling uh, culture. And this culture is, in this environment, our culture is the white culture. Um, so that's internalized racism, and that is prevalent to a lot of people that I know. Uh, personally, mediated racism is when you just uh, say something to somebody, medial, medial, I don't like you, I, I, have, I despise you, you're less than me, whatever it is. That's what we always usually think about when we talk about racism. Um, there's a fourth uh, thing to think about, and I mentioned this today briefly, is that you can be racially offensive and not be a racist. This, this is probably what's the most important thing to know because most people will fall in this category. You are biased. And Everybody has what they call a social narrative. A social narrative is a story that shapes how you see the world. Uh, you see I have glasses on. My glasses help focus what I'm looking at. My social narrative, what my parents taught me, what my neighborhood taught me, what my 
uh, friends taught me, the information I got from all of that, that helped me shape how I see and judge people. So when you see somebody, you have all this information in your head that tells you subconsciously in an instant what they're like. That's called judgment. We all do, you can't stop it, but you can challenge it. Are y'all following what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. And so that, that's where most people live. Most people, um, and, I, and I, I haven't surveyed most people, so it's just a guess. We have biases. And you, in an instant, see somebody and you make a judgment. You need to, and you'll see in the video later, you need to challenge those thoughts. So if you see somebody, you say, oh, I can trust them. Be careful. Do you know what a serial killer looks like? <laughs> it looks like you. <laughs> you I mean, you know, I, I'm saying, and, and what you don't want to do, well, I'm not saying too, but what you, what you don't want to do is look at somebody and say, I know what they're like. Yeah. You will have assumptions, yeah. but you want to let them self-disclose. And we'll talk more about that later uh, in the video when we talk about having discussions. But we all have a social narrative, and our social narrative places judgments on people, biases on people, and, and sometimes people say offensive things out of fear, out of nervousness, not knowing what I'm going to say, you know, oh, I, I got a black friend, I got a Mexican friend. I mean, that, I, I get that, but some people can be offended by that. doesn't mean you're racist, but you have to accept that that's offensive. How can I learn for that not to be offensive? Yeah. How can I learn to say something different? Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay, great. Because if people who can't separate being racially offensive from being a racist, they will always assume that they're not saying anything racially offensive. Because if they assume that they're saying, if they accept that they're saying something racially offensive, then they, in their mind, are accepting that they're a racist. So I, I'm, not, I'm not a racist, so nothing I say could be offensive. So when someone tells them that they offended them, they say, no, it didn't, because I'm not a racist. Are you following what I'm saying? Yeah. So if we just get, let's jump over that step and say, no, I can be offensive. Yeah. Okay? I can be biased. I can judge people. As long as you've got that posture that you want to learn and you could be wrong, fabulous. Okay? Now, the reason it's important for you is you guys are leaders. So you are going to deal everybody you know 100%. We have bias. Bias is a lack of a neutral view. As neutral as you want to be, you can't be because you don't know what you don't know. So it doesn't make you a bad person. It just makes you human. There's six billion people on the earth with six billion perspectives. My siblings had a different experience in my house than I did. <laughs> and we lived in the same house. We, 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 my, my brother, we slept on a bunker. He, I was on top. He was on the bottom. We, we had a, a totally different experience in the same house. And so just accept, okay, I, I need to learn. And so when you deal with people that say stuff, just be patient. Just chill. Like I, I grew up in, in New York. I went to Connecticut, school in Connecticut. And my best friend in college, well, one of my best friends in college was Italian. And his family... They, were, they became my family. So I have a bias in favor of East Coast, East Coast Italians. Anybody East Coast Italians? How about West? No. 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 And I'll tell you what. This is my whole point. That's my whole point of why I brought it up. Because West Coast Italians, and again, I'm generalizing, right? And, and this could be offensive to a witness. Whatever. It could be offensive. I'm not saying this is not. I don't know you. But it could be offensive. But when I say my Italian friends, I mean, there's a, there's a, there's a very strong 
Italian possessive culture on the East Coast. That's different from what I've experienced from the hundreds of times I've been on the West Coast. Are you, have you been Actually, my father was from Rhode Island, so I... You get what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. You get what I'm saying? So my... They were very Family, family, you know, you, 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 you the, the food was like, you, you made great, you don't, you don't be messing with none of that. It, it's, it's very, you know, you follow what I'm saying? You, you see what I'm saying? And so that was my experience. So I can say all this, right? And you can be in the bathroom, that is so, like, that offends me because I'm West Coast. Now, do I mean offended? No. Did you get offended? Okay, you're not. If you do get offended, okay, my bad. I just want to talk to you, but I know this is true. No. <laughs> So, so just just have to flow with people and not be so defensive that you are right. Yeah. All right. Okay. Great. Next one. Hey, look at my notes. Feel what I'm saying? Okay. Um, I have a white grandmother. I'm, I'm sure you're wondering where I got this beautiful tan skin. I got a white grandmother. I have a half black and Chinese grandmother. I have two black grandfathers, and they all were from Jamaica and Sydney. My White grandmother, she actually was born in New Jersey, but she moved to the West Indies, I don't know why. And her family said, we don't want you marrying a black Jamaican. So they sent her to Jamaica, Queens, New York. This is black Jamaican, they're from Jamaica, Jamaica, Queens, right? So she ends up meeting a black Jamaican from Jamaica, the West Indies, in Jamaica, Queens. So he's Jamaican twice. And, uh, I think I married, uh, when my grandfather used to go to her house, he would have to go to the back door. When she married him, they cut her off, so we never met them. So if you know anything about New York, um, we live 15 minutes from We live in Long Island, they live in, Queen, they live in Queens, which is still Long Island, but it's a city. They live 15, 20 minutes. We never heard of them, never saw them. They did not exist to us. I didn't even know they were there, not existing. Why well, didn't we know so you have all these light-skinned brown people and this white lady, and we like, I, 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 I never, like even thinking back on it, she was just grandma, but I never thought, I don't remember thinking, where's her family? It was just like, I, I, I don't even remember thinking, why don't we ever talk about her or her family? Because I, I, it's funny, I, it's funny I didn't even think about it, it was, she was just there, they cut her off. Uh, my grandfather's, experience as being black was very difficult for him. So he had a problem with that. Um, it was very hard for him struggling as a black man, which I heard because I didn't know him growing up. That's why I get all of this. It is very important for people to do their DNA to know what they are because a lot of people hate what they are. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You're prejudiced against black and you got black in you. Or you're prejudiced against white and you got white in you. In my book, I think it's chapter one, I talk about this. I, I had Snoop Dogg's DNA, Jessica Alba. They were on the George Lopez show. They revealed their DNA. And Jessica Alba was like, I, I think it was her. Um, she uh, she was less Hispanic than she thought. Uh, uh, but you get it. I can't remember exactly what she was saying. But there was a guy who was a, a Klansman who had his DNA done. He was 60% black. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> So, we, <laughs> what I want, what I want to do is describe how people, how we separate each other 
from each other and then ways how we can come together. I want to make sure I got my time right. We end here. I'm doing my math here. Okay, great. Um, Joshua, if you have a Bible, turn to Joshua chapter 5. If you have a Bible. Okay, good. We end here at 245? Is that the time? There's a time y'all was on? 2.30. Oh, 2.30. You go to Go ahead, girl. Well, if y'all start walking out of me, I'll hang on. It says 2.30, is that right? Just one? I think so. Okay. Okay, so I'll try to speak something. Uh, Joshua chapter 5. Uh, us first down. In the culture, if you listen to the news and every race conversation, it's about us first down. The us could, is whoever you identify with versus everybody else. Black, white, Hispanic, whatever. Kneel for the flag, don't kneel for the flag. You're all, there's always two options for you to choose. That's the, 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 the number of division is two. The number of unity is one. The third option is that we honor what we have in common, which is the image of God. And so racism impacts everybody negatively somehow. I went to Canada and, well, I don't want to be on the tangent. Whether it impacts you out of fear, resentment, anger, hurt, um, nervousness, somehow, jealousy, somehow racism is causing you a division between you and somebody else, and it is preventing you from honoring or placing a priceless value on the image of God in them. You are looking of them down or you're looking to them up because they think they're better than you or whatever. And so this book deals with a lot of those ways that racism has prevented you from honoring them, honoring the price value of them, and it tells you here's how you honor them again. It talks about your blind spots. There's things that we don't know we can't see. I don't know if you got a new car recently, but they have these lights in the rearview mirror when, you, when there's a car in your blind spot and it turns yellow. Does anybody have a car like that? It's telling you there's something you can't see. That's what it's for. It's for your blind spot. Okay? So we have social blind spots where I'm saying something, I'm doing something that's communicating something that I'm not intending for it to communicate, but I don't know it. Okay? You can't be accountable for it until someone tells you. One of the ways you can find out about your blind spot, <laughs> now this mic's on. Some, one of the ways you, you can find out about your blind spot is simply to ask your friends, is there anything I'm saying that is offensive? Mm-hmm. Simply ask. Is there anything I'm saying? I, I have a friend of the black church. Uh, it's a traditionally black church. He asked me the other day, I have a few white people in my church. I want, I want to get more diversity. What's the, what, are the, what are some of the things I'm doing? Now, I've only been to church once and never on Sunday. I said, what you can do is ask the white people in your church. Just, he said, oh. He said, that's why you're a genius. I said, that's why I'm here. <laughs> but but that's, what, that's what Greg Strat did. He works in the room and said, tell us, what are we doing? That's what happened. He said, how can we be more relevant? We want to, we want to reach everybody. So um, it, it was awesome. Uh, grouping. Uh, in group. Everybody puts themselves in a group. Every one of us are part of many groups. You're, if you're a female, you're part of a female group. If you're a mom, you're part of moms. If you're a grandma, you're part of grandma. Amen? Amen? We have dozens of groups. That's how we identify those like me and those not like me. There's an in-group, those like me. Our group, those not like me. Follow me? Very simple. It's not complicated. It's not malicious necessarily. It's just how we group. You walk into a room, you see people who are like you in some form. If I go into a room and they're pastors, 
and then there are mega church pastors. We have a mega church, and then there are administrators. I'm not going to administrators. I don't, have, I, don't, I don't have a whole lot of common. Pastors, cool. Mega church pastors, mega church pastors. We have issues that non mega church pastors uh, don't have any idea about. And we have issues that the administrators have no idea about. You know I mean? So we have stuff in common. When you identify your in group, there are things about your in group that you know very intimately. So if I go in and, uh, and talk to megachurch pastors, there's things we know that we deal with that only we know because we're megachurch pastors and we have mega problems. Are you following me? One pastor said to me, he said, hey, I want to help, grow, help me grow my church to 4,000. I said, why? And he didn't have an answer. And then I said, are you sure? Do you want to be in a lawsuit? Why would I be in a lawsuit? You know what I'm saying? That's, that's my point. When you get over here, there's problems you don't even, couldn't imagine that you have to deal with. So my point is that when you have your in-group, you understand the details of your in-group, how they dress, how they talk, if you're a mom, all of a sudden you have all these things you never even knew were true. But now when you go talk to a, a young girl who's not a mom, you're like, you have no idea. They don't even know what they don't even know. Are you following what I'm saying? Okay, and so, so your in-group, now think racially. If you are of one ethnicity, by the way, there's only one race, there's no races, only one race, human race, but of your ethnicity, you know about your ethnicity, in-group, you do not know about the other people. You just don't. Now, if you grew up with them all your whole life, I mean, this is a different story, but if that is not your, your ethnic in-group, you have very little limited information about them. That's just a fact. There's only but so much I know about Italian people. I know that family, but I can't tell you about all Italian people. But I, I know some because I spent a lot of time with them. But that wasn't my inquiry. Here's why it's important. Whenever you see somebody, you have to always remind yourself, I have very little limited information. So you have information from the TV, depending on whether you watch Fox or CNN, you're getting a slanted, limited information. You're limited information from your family, your social narrative, but it is still limited. So if you're making judgments about those people, you are making judgments on very limited information because that's your out group. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, they're going in. So once you identify your in-group, you have in-group bias. Let's show that. Uh, in-group bias is a tendency to give preferential treatments to the people in your in-group. Let's put that list up there. This is the people I feel comfortable with, the people I am part of an in-group, okay? I'm more comfortable with those like me. I'm more inclined to spend time socially with those like me. I'm more patient with those like me. I get the benefit of the doubt quicker. I express more grace when mistakes are made. It is easier to communicate. I assume that I will get along easier. I am more willing to go out of my way to help them. And I have more positive assumptions. So I just want you to go. I walk in the room, I see people who look like me, those people don't look like me, and that's what I'm going to express to these people who look like me. Just, just by nature. This doesn't make you a racist. It just makes, it's because you have grown up with these people, and you know them, and you, you understand them, and that's what you feel comfortable with. There's nothing wrong with that. Does that make sense to you? Okay, very good. Let's, let's do the opposite. Outgroup discrimination. I am less comfortable. I am less inclined to spend time socially. That means I won't be around them. I'm less patient with you. That means you make one mistake, you're out of here. I get the benefit of the doubt less. 
I express less grace when mistakes are made. Are we supposed to give less or more grace to one person over another? No. It's more difficult for me to communicate. So I avoid it. I don't assume I'll get along. So I'm waiting for an out exit to this conversation and relationship. I'm less willing to go out of my way to help those, and I have less positive assumptions. If you have ever experienced racism, that's what it feels like. Are you following me? But that person is not necessarily racist. Now, they could be. And I'm not here to judge whether they are not. But the point is that if you know that's what you do, that's what people do, then you can be aware of giving some people better treatment than others. Loving some better than others. That's love right there. Are you following me? And so when you go into a church or into a room, well, we'll get to that in a minute. Okay. I'm going to make sure I keep going. Six things you can do. Uh, number one, acknowledge that you have blind spots. Okay? Acknowledge that you have blind spots. I want to get to this video. One of the ways you can find out your blind spot is ask a friend. And by the way, a blind spot is obviously something that you don't know or that you can't see that you're blind to. It is a difference between your the your intent of your actions and the impact of your actions. Perfect example. Someone says, and we're gonna get to see color in a minute, but someone says, hey, um, uh, I love everybody the same, and I don't see color, I don't see your color. Your intent is to build a bridge, but the impact of what you're saying could be offensive. That's a blind spot. And you don't know. And what's even worse is when they tell you it's offensive, you say, no, it's not. <laughs> no, no, they just told you this. So, but you don't want to accept that you may have done something. You start blind spot. We all got blind spots. We all, we all do stuff. I had a lady uh, ask me when I first came to California. I'm from New York. And New York people are very direct. Anybody here from New York? Okay, you, you, you from New York? Where are you from? Where are you from? Uh, okay. Okay, good. Um, are you Puerto Rican? Okay, see, all I see people Puerto Rican. Huh? Dad's life. So, so my dad told me I was Puerto Rican growing up. And I'm, I have no Spanish color at all. <laughs> So this lady, I went to California. California's people real nice and how you doing? And, and, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, like that. And she said, do you have any idea how people perceive you? And I was like, I'm from New York. I don't care. <laughs> I had a blind spot. <laughs> now, I had two blind spots. One was I didn't know how people were receiving me. And the other blind spot was that I thought it was okay not to care. But, but, so you have to ask what, I, what blind spots I have. It's just called, you know the Bible says, it, how can you see the speck in someone's eye? Yeah. You have the plank. Take the plank out so you can see. Yeah. The plank is causing a blind spot. Yeah. That's good. Okay. So you have to ask yourself, what's the plank? It's your social narrative. It's your story. It's what you've been told. You have been, when I say you, we have been taught, not maliciously necessarily, but we have been taught to have blind spots because when you're taught, you say, this is how you think about this. You, you, you can't be taught everything as a kid. 
So when you grow up, you have a perspective, and then you realize, man, my perspective is wrong, or flawed, I should say. It's not complete. You go to college, and you realize there are kids who have a whole different experience, and you automatically say, well, those are those people, and this us, and they're wrong, and we're right. No. But you go over and learn. And then when you learn about them, go learn about them. And when you learn about them, go learn, be a learner for the rest of your life. Okay. Amen? Okay, number two. Uh, rename people as your brother's sister. We talked about that today. Rename people as uh, your neighbor. We talked about it today, so I'm not going to go over that. Did that make sense to you what I said today? Okay, we'll, we won't go over that. Uh, but it's very important. Just play this game. Whenever you see people here, especially people who don't look like you, just look at them for a second and say, that's my neighbor. That's my sister. Just, just say that and let it sink in. And then, uh, um, I don't think I'm going to do this here. Whenever you have a conversation, and you'll see this more in the video, you're having a race consultation, let them teach you about who they are instead of you impose on them. Because you don't know. Okay, number three, uh, give in-group love to your out-group. Uh, a lady said to me one day, she says, uh, we were talking about race, and she said, you just need to get over it. And, and, and I said to her, She's a dear friend of mine, she loves God, and I don't believe she meant to maliciously at all. I said, you spent, remember in-group, out-group? I said, you spent too much time surrounded by your in-group. Which two mentions? Imagine if everywhere you went, you were around your in-group. So you got the benefit of the doubt, you got grace all the time, People assume positive about you all the time. Are you following what I'm saying? Yeah. And you were never around your outgroup where people didn't give you the benefit of that. People were less patient with you. You got rubbed. Are you following what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, there, there's a, there's a um, uh, leadership coach in San Diego named Stephen Jones, and he wrote an article called The Right Hand of Privilege. How many of you are right handed? Raise your hand. Keep your hand up really high. Real high, sorry, just Okay, we're looking around the room. A lot of people are right-handed, most of y'all. How many of y'all are left-handed? Put your hand up. Okay, there's like 10 of us. Okay, I'm left-handed, so these are all the special people. <laughs> Super gifted people. <laughs> that's, that's my angry group. That's right, that's right, that's right. That's why we're better. That's why we're better. You guys can get your foot first and spring. You know, like, I'm like it. <laughs> you don't have a pet, no. <laughs> Just pay with your left hand. <laughs> the world was great for right-handed people. That's right. So when you were in school, remember the desk? The desk was on the right-hand side. So if you were right-handed, you could put your elbow and right and look at the girl next to you because your hand was braced by the desk. But if you were left-handed, you couldn't do that. You had to put your hand down and stop writing. And then talk to them, and then write. But, it, <laughs> but you had to like draw your name because there was nothing to lean on. Y'all follow what I'm saying? So while y'all are just sitting there writing like this, and we're left handers, we're out here in space. If you want to get golf clubs, if you're right handed, you can go to any golf club. Shop. If you're left handed, you got to order it. If you want to get a baseball mitt, especially a catcher's mitt, any, any sporting store. But if you want to get a left handed catcher's mitt, you got to order it. If you're right handed, you don't know that. You just walk around right hand, everything's fine, everything's fine. And you say to the left hand person, what's taking you so long? Why? Why can't you just go get the book? Are you following what I'm saying? 
that's called white privilege. It doesn't mean that the right-handed people were trying to hurt the left-handed people. And I'm not saying there aren't laws that are trying to hurt people, because that's true. But if you're right-handed, you have an advantage. But it's not your fault that you have the advantage. It doesn't remove the disadvantage from the left-handed people. Are you following what I'm saying? And so, so when, I, when this lady said, just get over it, what she was saying to me was, I don't understand what it means to be left-handed. I had no concept. Because I assumed, this is what she was saying without saying it, I assumed left-handed people and right-handed people have the same comfort and ease. But it's not true. When I shake people's hands, a lot of times I have to do that. Because I'm naturally going to do this, but then we have to shake hands with right-handed now again, that's a simple analogy, but the bigger picture is that we have a culture that is created for an in-group. And you are the out-group, you have to learn how to accommodate to be in another group. Are you following what I'm saying? Yeah. Now, what, how does this relate here? Give in-group love to your out-group. Yeah, so if you walk into Starbucks and everybody looks like you, by the way, everyone looks like you can be whatever you look like. Let's say you're Hispanic, and everybody has Hispanic, and there's one black dude in there. Now, assuming the Hispanics see themselves as an in-group in that, in, in that particular environment, and that black dude is not, had not grown up in that area, I'm just saying, they, uh, uh, um, everything's equal, you have an ethnic in-group that everyone sees, we're all the same except him. Okay, well, I believe in Jesus. So my in-group is really above this cultural in-group. I have a high in-group. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go make sure that I give the same benefit of the doubt, the same grace to this person who is on an ethnic out-group, but not necessarily my human, human being out-group. Are you following what I'm saying? Yeah. So when you walk into a church and everybody looks like you and you see someone don't look like you, make sure, for sure, that that person feels like they're at home in your church. I mean, that's not, my goodness, my goodness, my goodness, if not in the church. Uh, number four, acknowledge your brother and sister's color. Uh, don't say you don't see color because you do. That's the only time you say you don't see it when you see it and you don't want to talk about it. That's just, that's just, that's just wrong. I had a person tell me when I was 21 or 20, I can't remember what it was, you know, I don't, I, don't, I don't see a color. I thought they meant blue, yellow, and green. I said, that's jacked up. You don't see blue, yellow, and green. They said, no, no, I just don't see your color. I was like, I was confused. I was like, well, how do you know to say that you don't see it? <laughs> now, what they were saying, what they were meaning was, I'm going to treat you the same. Well, then say that. <laughs> but this has significance to me, and it has significance to my experience, which is very different. You have a right-handed color, I have a left-handed color. So when you say you don't see my color and you're ascribing to me a right-handed color, when I don't have a right-handed color, we're not going to connect. And so God made all the colors. And, you know, when you get a tan in Hawaii, you want people to see it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. right? So we want to celebrate that tan. But if you get a tan in the womb, we want to invalidate it. Yeah. Okay? So God made all the shades. So let's just... And by the way, white's a color, too. The culture will tell you white people and people of color. God says, I just made colors. Yeah. Yeah. You know Red Fox, you don't know Red Fox? Yellow kind of yellow. Yeah. <laughs> he, got, he got arrested and uh, the cop came and said, you know, uh, was the perpetrator color? And he said, yeah, he was colored white. 
Every shade has its own burdens. Okay? And by the way, you're not really white anyway. You're light brown, and people aren't really black. They're just brown. Why? Because we were, we were colored with melanin, which is brown. So if you really want to be scientifically correct, that's why when you go to the beach and lay on the sun, lay under the sun, you don't change color. You just become more what you are. The sun, Jesus, makes you more what you are. That's all that's all. Whoa! <laughs> Number five. I got to keep going. <laughs> you, you, view every conversation as a race consultation. When you talk to somebody, you are talking to someone, your eyes and your brain are processing immediately what you see and coming up with conclusions. Let that be a race consultation. I want to learn about you. Allow people to self-disclose to you what they are instead of you imposing on them your assumptions. Are you following me? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to watch this video and then we're going to do questions. The video is 14 minutes. It's 13 minutes and 58 seconds. So we'll, we'll end with a few minutes before to do questions. Um, this video, I'm going to get after it's over, I'm going to give you a short code where you can download a link, a video link to the video and the instructions on how to do it. Go do it. You'll, you'll know what it means. You'll see it. Let's play it. A few days after I was drafted to the Los Angeles Rams, I boarded a flight from New Haven, Connecticut to go to California. And on my way, I had to change planes in Las Vegas. And when I got to Las Vegas Airport, I noticed this big boy sitting there waiting to get on the same plane I was getting on. And I wasn't sure if he was a black dude mixed or what. As I got closer, I realized he was extremely big. But he wasn't necessarily black, he wasn't Puerto Rican, and I wasn't sure what he was. So I went over to him and said, yo man, what's your name? He said, yo man, my name is Junior. We got on a plane, walking through the aisle of the plane, and he had to turn sideways to get through the plane. And this little lady who reminded me of Betty White turned around and saw him, and she was like, oh my. <laughs> this dude was giant. So as soon as we got off the plane, I went up to him and said, Junior, I got to know, what ethnicity are you? And he said, yo, man, I'm Samoan. I had never met a Samoan, never seen a Samoan. And the whole time I was looking at him, I was trying to figure out what ethnicity he is. Every time you have a conversation with someone, you are having a race conversation. You are processing in your mind what you think they are how you think they may treat you, how you think you're supposed to respond to them. These thoughts and conversations in our head reveal the nature of the information we receive throughout our lives, the information we receive about other people, and the information we receive about ourselves. But having a conversation about race can be scary. Some view it as a race confrontation. I want to propose to you that you view it, instead of a race confrontation, you view it as a race consultation. Because these conversations can be uncomfortable, we developed this instructional video in order to provide guidelines for a safe and productive environment for your group discussion today. This video is strictly for training purposes and should not be taken out of context. However, the concepts can be applied to every conversation you have. Additionally, the views expressed by the characters in this presentation do not necessarily represent the values of me, our organization, our sponsors, or customers. Stacy, Melanie, and Choco. And this is what happened as they reviewed the guidelines. They all sat down in a group to 
together, and Stacy, an African-American woman, said, hey everybody, I'm Stacy, how y'all doing? Then Taniqua, an older white lady, jumped in, hello, my name is Taniqua, and I'm so looking forward to our time together to learn how to be more diversified. I mean, diversified. Stacy was like, Taniqua, go ahead, girl. And a big smile, Taniqua, black girl, undecided. This will be the first time they've spoken about race with people who are different from them. Be mindful of that and extend a little extra grace with awkward comments or questions. It's okay. Melly, a Mexican 20-something, went next and he said, they call me Melly because I'm mellow. Then Choco, a 30-something Filipino-Hawaiian freshman said, what's up? My name is Choco, but my friends call me Choco. It's kind of like saying, yo, we're the chip. Sounds cool when you say it slow, like, chill. Stacy was like, what? And he jerked his head around and said in his breath, Interesting. I got a cousin named Joker. It's not saying you don't see color. Just acknowledge that you do because it's staring in the face. Learn to appreciate it. Seeing color isn't the problem. The negative assumptions we associate with certain colors is the problem. We must learn to acknowledge and confront the negative and critical thoughts we have towards those who have those colors. This is why it's critical to allow people to self-disclose. More on that later. Back to the story. So everyone was nervously looking at each other suspiciously and awkwardly. Taniqua kept thinking at Stacy, thinking, I wonder what she's been through. Then Choco finally said, so I don't mind leading us unless someone else wants to. And out of nowhere, Stacy tapped Choco on the shoulder, smiled, and said, let's do this. As she pounded her fist in her hand, saying, Rock, paper, scissors, baby. Since every group needs to self-police, decide who will keep the group on track. So Stacy says, all right, y'all, why don't we all take turns reading through the guidelines? Stacy then says, guideline number one says, get into groups of three to four people with at least two ethnicities. Okay, we have four people, and we are diverse. Booyah! Tanika says, does anyone want to pray? For some reason, she looks at Melly, who's just kind of leaning back, all mellow-like. For the second step, if agreeable, say a prayer to ask for unity and transparency in the group. But make sure everyone's comfortable with praying. Mellow, awkwardly and uncomfortably, looking out of the corner of his eye, said, Nah, I'm good. Choco said, I'll pray. Can we all bow our heads and close our eyes? And for about 15 seconds, nothing but silence. <laughs> Stacy then says, who has rule number three? Nelly says, I got it. It says to affirm our group's intention at the start of the discussion. And this is the start of the discussion. This is the most important guideline because it's critical to enter every discussion to listen with the intent to learn. This is not a race confrontation, but a race consultation. All too often we are quick to impose our assumption on others before they have a chance to self-disclose their truth to us. Melly says, basically this means no imposing our assumptions on each other. While Melly was looking at Choco, he thought, he sure speaks really good English. I wonder if he's good at math. Maybe he can choose my cousin Choco. Glancing at everyone, Tanika was nervously thinking, being that I'm the only white person in the group, they're probably going to blame me for everything. Stacy was standing at me the table. I'm still tripping on my name. Melo <laughs> 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 then 
then ask, okay, does everyone affirm this guideline that we're here to learn and not impose our assumptions on each other? And everyone at one time enthusiastically says, of course, yes, definitely. Here to learn, no prejudging, absolutely. It's obvious that everyone in the group had an opinion of someone else in the group, an opinion based completely on assumptions. Sometimes the thoughts that we have about others are so automatic that we don't have a chance to stop them, but we do have the opportunity and responsibility to challenge them. Stacy then said, okay, guideline number four is if you feel uncomfortable during this conversation for any reason, raise your hand and say family. Then everyone needs to stop talking, look at each other for a moment and say, I love you, you're my brother or sister. Nico said, oh, that is awesome. We are family. Choco's thinking, she doesn't look like my family. And say to each other, I love my brother and sister. Then resume the conversation. Stacy asked, okay, who's next? Choco said, that's me. Guideline number five, seek to understand rather than talk back, argue, or invalidate a point. It's important to not question or challenge someone's experience. Challenging a person's story invalidates a person's story. Assume a posture of simply listening and not challenging. Even if you think someone is exaggerating, the first thing you need to do is ask yourself why. Maybe it's your filter that's turning it into an exaggeration. Trust their story. Taniko said, guideline number six is, be honest about your experiences. Stacy mumbled, girl, you don't want me to be honest. I can tell you some stuff. Taniko whispered under her breath, man, being honest is gonna be tough. I recognize that it can be scary and painful to talk about your stories, but the only way we're ever gonna learn from each other is to speak from our hearts with vulnerability and honesty. If you don't wanna talk, just sit and listen. Everyone does not have to talk, and you don't have to share everything. Just be honest, and on the flip side, be a gracious listener, and don't take anything personal. then says, now some of us have deep hurts that are hard to let go of. I know this is a very emotional topic. Like for instance, when I was seven, I was walking to lunch line, I grabbed Trey, and I know what he's doing. <laughs> Melody just kept going on and on and on. People started knocking off, looking at the text messages, answering emails. Finally, Choco raised his hand and says, homie, family. Nico said, baby, what are you doing? Stacy was like, brother, please. Melo stops talking and everyone's looking at him with frustration. And Choco said, we love you, but hello. Melo said, what's up? Choco said, bro, what is guideline number seven? The one you're supposed to be telling us about. And Melo says, oh yeah, my bad. Answer all your questions in one minute or less. Stacy can read the next one to keep the flow going. Guideline number eight says, speak in the first person using I, not we. Let's focus on our personal experiences, perspectives, and feelings. Remember, speaking in the first person keeps your story personal. There is a time and place to talk about the bigger picture, but this is not it. Everyone like us does not necessarily have the same experience as us, and we're not experts in everyone else's pain, just at home. The first and most important priority we all have today is to address our personal biases 
in our personal terms. Choco said, I don't know the experiences of every Asian, but I do know mine. Stacy was like, I'm not here to speak for all black people, just my experience. Taniqua said, I don't know what all white people think, but I do know what I feel and have been to. Melly then said, the experiences of all Latinos is so varied, but today I will speak for me. Stacy then read, guideline number nine suggests that we consider sharing contact information with each other so we can continue to develop our relationships after today. Then she said, I definitely need to get together with Taniqua. I got to know where she got her name. Now that we got down to red, Stacy said, Are y'all ready? Chunker was like, Let's do this. Mel shouted, Yeah, buddy. Taniqua said, I am so excited. Although we have fun with you and guidelines, we all know that this is a serious topic, and a lot of us carry a lot of fear, frustration, and hurt. I hope these guidelines empower and equip you to have a productive conversation and encourage you to allow everyone you meet to self-disclose turning every race conversation into a race consultation. But before you start, here's one last word from the participants in this video. Hi everyone, I'm Margaret and I'm an interior designer. Recently, I was called a nice niggers by my client in her home. My hope is that you honor others by, instead of ignoring their color, that you celebrate it. Give people the benefit of the fact that each color has stereotypes and burdens placed on them by others. So be that person that lightens that burden by loving them the way they are. When I was seven, I was at a department store with my aunt. My aunt was speaking to me in Spanish when two women walked by and said loudly, these Mexicans come to our country illegally and don't even bother to speak our language. To which I responded, I speak perfect English. They both looked appalled and walked away angrily. My hope is that you honor others by being quick to listen, slow to speak, and allow what others self-disclose about themselves to challenge your thoughts and assumptions you have about them. The safest assumption you should make is that there's more that you don't know about them than you do know. Be a learner, not a judge. Hey everyone, my name is Ty, and I've almost grown used to being the butt-end of jokes that refer to Asians in nail salons and sweatshops. My hope is that you honor others by not blaming the person in front of you for what the person behind you has done. Go into every discussion thinking the best, not the worst. Prepare to speak life and not death over someone. My name is Tammy. As a white person, I'm often stereotyped or blamed for things that I didn't do, and frankly, that I'm opposed to. I feel like I sometimes have to walk on eggshells when talking about race. My hope is that we honor others by eliminating the term those people from our vocabulary and place the label neighbor, brother, or sister on them. Anything less dehumanizes them. Instead of ignoring how they were made, celebrate their uniqueness and the added richness their experience and culture could bring to your life. Did you guys enjoy that? Yeah. Okay, you can write this down. Write the word discuss. You want to text the word discuss to the show code 52525. The word discuss to 52525. And you will get two things. Everybody get that? Yeah. You'll get two things. You'll get a link to that video, and you'll get a discussion guide that will tell you the guidelines that they were reciting and seven questions that you can go over in your group, okay? Uh, every group's gonna be different. If you know each other, you're gonna 
talk back and forth, which of course that's all fine. Those guidelines are designed for four people who do not know each other. So if you go into the group, you know I'm not going to be jammed up, or someone's not going to start arguing, and say family, but you, you can just flow it. Does that make sense? Uh, um, so I'd encourage you to do it. So we got five minutes, there's two questions, so I want to get you out of here on time, and, and then we'll have folks sign over here from on the book. No questions? Yes? Um, race conversations are difficult because they're difficult, right? And so, and some people, people of color, we have dealt with that more than whites because if they, they can be isolated to their in group, we're mostly in minority situations. And so we would be more comfortable in general to talk about those things. Are you familiar with the term white fragility? Does anybody know that term? Does anybody not know that term? It, white fragility from the word fragile is, and there's actually a book, a, a, a lady named uh, Robin D'Angelo coined the term. She actually has a book that's a bestseller called Why Fragility, Why It's Hard for Whites to Talk About Race. And it's, it's, it, it describes the inability for whites to handle racial stress, okay? And to get uncomfortable. Um, and read the book. But uh, you have to be sensitive to that. Uh, and so when you have a race conversation, it would be good to organize the conversation and let everybody know here's what we're going to do and let everybody opt into the conversation versus just jamming them up because it's, it's uncomfortable. And because the, the goal is not to win an argument, the goal is to win a friend, right? And so if you can have a, play this video, you get people in the, at your job and say, hey, we want to have this, we want to facilitate something, play the video, uh, get the book, pass it around your office, um, and give people an opportunity to start to engage in the, in the concept. That's what I'm saying. Yes? Would you intend this to be a tool to help us to understand Person better or, or, or to understand people better? Person. Because, every, yes, very question. When I said just focus on me, not we, I don't represent all black people or mixed people, right? And it's on, you know, when I, when I was growing up, I, I wasn't black enough for black people, I wasn't white enough for white people, right? So nobody represents everybody, experience. So I just need to know you because the, the danger is if I know you, then I go around saying, I know all black people. Matter of fact, when people say I got a black friend, what they're saying is, I met one black friend, that means I know a lot of black people, right? And that's not true. So it's really, I want to know you, and, and, and not everybody. Right. Yes? So my situation is a little bit like yours. My grandson has blonde hair and blue eyes, but he's black. How do you introduce that kind of Is that because his mom's black? No, mom, my daughter, white, dad's black. Okay, I'm sorry. So it's light skin but dark. I'm sorry, who, who is this person? My, my grandson. Your grandson? Okay, so, your grandson. Okay, very much. Nice. <laughs> did, did you get that? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, you threw me up. You threw me up now. <laughs> I was like, I'm not getting this family right now. <laughs> How do you have this type of conversation in your family? With family members? That you may have different opinions. Uh, you mean... In your family, people have different opinions about about um, against each other. Yeah. Well, I think that the the, the get the book. Yeah. That's gonna be my answer to everything, right? Get the yeah. book. Um, <laughs> but people, whether they're in families or they're neighbors or they are, uh, it depends on what the conversation is. In your situation, there is DNA yeah. that that reveals what someone has in them. How they self-describe that 
I'm mixed, okay, then you're mixed. Okay? How the law will describe them, you're black. Okay? You just gotta realize how society's gonna treat you. Those are all different things. And so your grandson needs to just know all those dynamics. Whether he can say, I'm not that, or you have to be, be aware of how people are gonna treat you just so you know. So I think, if anything, to inform of reality and inform what they get have a DNA test so he can know it. I'm 50.2% Sub-Saharan African, right? I'm 34% European and 16% Asian, right? My great-grandfather was 100% Chinese. Well, I know that, but I also know what the law says I am. I also know what my culture says I am. I also know what people say. So I'm aware of all of that, right? And so if he could just be aware of all that, it'd be a great educational thing for him and his family. Yes. Um, uh, what did you say, Target? Okay, Target. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, I'm a lead pastor, and we're going to really step forward to create the diversity conversation, create a uh, church that requests the team in a way. We're relatively diverse, we're a little 50% white right now, and mm -hmm. continue to step forward. So my question is, as a lead pastor yourself, how do you make a decision on when to acknowledge things from the stage, not just the conversation, but especially when it comes to events? Because, like a shooting. Yeah, like a shooting, right. the border issue. Where are you at? Uh, I'm here in Orange County. Okay. Uh, I would highly, highly, highly encourage all of you pastors to not talk about politics. Um, politics is a us versus them ideology. It's not biblical. When I say it's not biblical. It's wrong. It's flawed. The Bible is perfect. And so what we want to do is acknowledge the kingdom of God and loving people and, and try not to, and try to encourage people to live their faith out and see their faith, and not to bend them towards political views. That, that, that gets too scary, because people are more passionate and holistically passionate about that than God. Um, uh, so I, I would say, I would say anytime you want to, to encourage people to have compassion to a situation, or understanding to a situation, remember us versus them. There was a shooting in, in, um, in Dallas, where a, a black man was in his house, and a lady came in and shot him. Okay. And there's stories about what, you know, the lady came in the guy's house and shot him. If I'm in my house, I should not be getting shot by the police. Okay. So, some people who are pro-police feel like they cannot side and say it's wrong. Because they would feel like they're selling out on the police. And so a sellout is someone who goes against their in-group. So once you decide your in-group is culturally and, and human, then you are bound by that, even though it may cause you to violate the Bible. So Republican Christians, Democratic Christians, their Republican views or their Democratic views sometimes are stronger than their Biblical views. So they can't, they can't see past, so they, they won't even let them see. And I, and I, hear, I, I mentioned this about the, the kneeling. Whether you, whether you want them to stand or kneel the game, that's... Listen, I get it. We should want them to want to stand, right? But the, the question is why? I mean, that, that's really what people... Now, once I find out why, I may go, I don't buy it, right? Or I just don't buy it, because it's a real issue. Um, I don't care, but then that's on you now. But if I am on the stand, you should stand side, I, I am not allowed by my own confines of my in-group to even consider learning about that. 
or consider learning that what they're sitting kneeling for is true. That's a problem. And so the pastor, you have to be aware of that and then stay way up here. Yeah. You know, activists say, I'm going to fight this a position against this position. A pacifist says everything is just get along. But a prophet says there's a higher truth that we're going to And that's what we are calling There's a higher truth. So, and, and by the way, the book is the third option. It's the prophetic view of how we can get along is by honoring the image of God that we have and get above all the, 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 the fights this way. I don't know if I'm answering your question. You have to pray. Now, there was a shooting in our city and it was, it was, <laughs> I went to the police station and I was shooting. There were 100 people outside the, the, the protest in the police station. We said, hey, chief, you should go out and talk to them. So we go out and talk to them, and there were 100 people cursing and effing the, the police chief, and they're saying, this close to me. I'm here, the police chief here. Someone back there says, F and my church, in front of all these people. Then he says, F Pastor Miles. And I'm like, what? <laughs> it bothered me big time. That Sunday, do an altar call. That guy, I'm shaking hands with the altar coach if you were weak, and he grabs my hand and says, I'm the guy who cursed you. I said, you need to come. And so I get him coming back. And I said, what was up? I filmed his response. And he said, we had all these shoes. You weren't saying anything about it. And his mother said, what are you talking about? He was bringing people up on stage, had pictures of people getting shot. You weren't at church that day. So... His perspective, and he says, but I heard from the sermon, because I did a sermon, I did a whole sermon on the shooting, five days after the shooting, right? And it was all about, what is your view about the people who disagree with you? So the believers, you know, in this side, in this side. Well, really, I'm on this side. I have to love you, and I want to know, understand you, right? But that means that you may be looked as a sellout to the people who are saying they're wrong. That's, but, but as a pastor, you're not part of that. I can't be part of that. Right? Then when I wrote this book, I was scared for a year that the whites were going to think I was coming against them. The last thing I want to say, no, 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 because I'm in those groups. I, I, I'm a pastor, I'm this. But, here, yeah, so I'm, I'm going rambling. I know what time is going to Did that get you? Did that get you? Get you, get you another, another question, real quick. Is this helpful for you all? Yes. Is it a question? Yes. Check, that's true. Oh, check, that's true. Check, that's true. 
Are you following what I'm saying? Because it, it, everybody has such a different. I was in a restaurant in a very well-to-do white neighborhood, and this white kid was serving my wife, and he was a, a fabulous kid. And I said to him at the end, he wanted to be a Navy SEAL, and he was going to college, and, and I'm assuming things about him. And I said to my wife, I want to write his parents a note to say that he's a great kid. And I said to him, you live here, where are you from? He said, I live up the street, you know, in the same way, so it's a wealthy neighborhood. And so I had his assumptions. I said, and God said to me, before you tell him you want to write his note to his parents, ask him who raised him. <laughs> so I, it's like, all right. I said, so, hey man, I want to write a note to the, who, who raised you? Do I write a note to your parents? He says, I don't have a relationship with my mom. And, and I moved out of my dad's house at 14 and went to college and he ran track and he went to a four-year school. Now he's training to be a Navy SEAL. I was like, I really, I, I really like you now. I mean, he was like, he was an exceptional kid, but now he did it on his own. But my point is that I had predetermined about him that was wrong, right? And so, you, so yes, you, every individual, you may have general information. Some stereotypes are true. In other words, most Latinos, most Latinos are more Latin than non-Latinos. Right? Do you follow what I'm saying? I mean, it's kind of like, oh, duh, most Americans are more Americans than non-Americans. I mean, you know, sort of some things are generally true that you can assume, but you always been. I was in London walking down the street, and this African American, well, this dude, his complexion was walking towards me. And I said, yo, what's up, man? He said, how you doing, mate? You know, and he, he had the whole, you know, and I was like, oh, and threw me way off. Because I had this, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I had this assumption, he was going to say, like, what's up, bro? But he, he didn't have it. It was like, he was <laughs> so you, you, you just want to be careful. You just want to hold it loosely. Does that answer your question? Okay, one more, one more, cause I know time running. I don't want to keep y'all too long. Anybody else? Yes. All right. Uh, how can I? Uh, what tools and advice could you give me to incorporate the uh, like a pastor leadership community breakfast when I make phone calls to the churches? They didn't know which one. No, we did good, but it's specifically the black. African American churches, one pastor said, I'm not interested right now, but my heart is hurting. One-on-one, one-on-one, just do one-on-one. Go talk to them. Go meet one-on-one, 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 one-on-one. Because remember, your filter is, if I'm trying to reach out, I'm doing a good thing, and I'm getting snowballed, the stonewall. Well, assume there's a reason. Yeah. Now, it may not be legitimate, but there is a reason. So, what's the reason? Help me understand, you know, talk to me, and... Let me tell you something. Can I come over and visit with you? That goes, you know, that goes a long way. Okay. I'm gonna pray. We have books over here. Uh, y'all got the short code for the video? Yes. Okay, very good. Fabulous. Let me know what goes on. Lord, follow me on Instagram, all that stuff, it's on there. But let me know, let me know at mildandpierce.com what you think about the video and how it works. I love feedback. I love to know what stuff else. Lord, thank you so much for your faithfulness. Thank you for your goodness. Lord, I just pray that you would radically, radically change all these ministers' lives, their perspectives, their ministries. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.